Well, good morning. My name is Mark, and uh, first of all, I feel like I need to say thank you. You know, this is the the last of this series on minor characters in the Bible, and this was the one that we gave the opportunity for everybody to to text their vote about, you know, and uh, and you had a few options. First time I've ever done this, you know, I had a few options. I didn't know what was going to come back and who this last uh, sermon was going to be about, and Lydia was not my choice. I, I actually had chose, uh, when I voted back, I chose Benaiah, which is the story of this incredible warrior, you know, it's got a really cool story where he, uh, on a snowy day, there's this lion, and he goes down after the lion into a pit by faith, and God gives him, I mean, it's just a really like, rah, you know, that kind of story, and, uh, and, uh, and we chose Lydia, <laughs> which I had not really studied very much, and I kind of vaguely kind of knew about Lydia. And I'm just telling you, preparation for today and study of this story, God has just really used it to impact me personally. And so I feel like I just need to say thank you. I think God has something that, that he's wanting to, to say this morning. And if I, could, if I could sum it up in a nutshell, you know, there's a lot of things that are going to come out of the story. But if I could sum it up in a nutshell, this story is about Lydia coming to true faith in Jesus. And this Lydia is, uh, is an authentic Christ follower. And it gives us a real picture of what that means to be an authentic Christ follower. And you know, if you go this morning in, in places, buildings like this, all over the country, all over the world, there are a lot of people that are gathered together. And Jesus' name is talked about, and the Bible is cracked open. But there's a lot of people that are in those rooms, or even in this room this morning, that are interested in Jesus, that have, have a belief that God created this earth and that, you know, somehow we're responsible to worship him, but aren't quite authentic Christ followers. And you even see that in this story of Lydia. She is at a place of worship when she's presented with this message of Jesus, and her response and the, the things that follow uh, identify that she's authentic. And it got me thinking about what it, what it means to be authentic. You know, there are some guys in this room this morning, I've already crossed eyes with you a couple times, that are golfers. They, they golf, and if you ask me to describe that person, I'm going to say, hey, that, that dude's a golfer. I personally am not a golfer. Now, I have played golf. I, uh, I, you know, have owned golf clubs at different times in my life. I could get my hands on clubs really quick, and I could go and play with you today and hit the ball fairly straight, fairly straight. As a high school guy, I, I played on the high school golf team. So, uh, you know, I have that in my history. Now, I was not the A player, the B player, the C player, or the D player, but I was, I did contribute, and this is how I contributed. The coach would come to me, and before the meets, the tournaments, the golf day, game day, <laughs> coach would say, hey, that's the other team's A player, and for us to win, that guy has to have a really bad day. Mark, get on that. And so then I would get with that guy, and I'd just be in his head all day talking smack. I would purposely, like, just be making fun and, you know, trying to hit the ball a long ways and just acting like Happy Gilmore. You know, that, that seemed to work. And I remember one, one tournament in particular, the, the A player on this other team, he threw his clubs in the pond and just pretty much gave up. And I walked out like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. 
But I wouldn't call myself a golfer. You know, there are guys in here who hunt and fish who are officially, I mean, that's what you are. You're a sportsman. My granddad took me on a tree stand, and it was really, really cold, and I had exactly the same experience my father had. I got cold. <laughs> it's like it's got cold. I didn't find anything fun in it, man. This is just, I'm just cold right now, you know? So I didn't, I didn't really take to it. So there, there are just some things that I, I wouldn't call myself that. But when does a person officially cross that, that line? Like before they weren't a golfer, and now they would be identified as a golfer. You know? When, when do you cross that line? When does a person, uh, a seeker of things of God, and they cross this line and they become an authentic follower of Jesus? You know, Jesus says it this way in John chapter 5. He says, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from, from death into life. And that statement of Jesus has always, you know, just given me this picture that there is, there is death and there's life. And that everyone in this room, that we're either in a state of death, which is separation from our Creator, or we're in a state of life. We have a relationship with Him. And death, you know, is the place of, of, of all of us that have disobeyed God. Uh, we're under uh, just justice, his, his just wrath upon sin. And we stand, we stand condemned. And so we are in a state of, of death. And then there's this, this Jesus God in the flesh, who laid down his life and took sin upon him, overcame death and made the way that we could be made clean and right and redeemed to a, to a holy God. And we have people who have embraced that have, have life. That's what the Bible teaches. And so they have, they have life. And so there's death and there's life. And there's not death life. There's no, there's no like middle ground here. There's death and there's life. And so there's a non, you know, Christ follower, and then there's the, the authentic Christ follower, and there's, and there's no in-between. And so there's a definite point in your life where you cross over. You go definitely like what Jesus said is he who believes in him who sent me has eternal life, who hears and believes has eternal life. And so there's a point that that happens, you know? A couple, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, no, no, not even a couple weeks ago, less than that, I was hanging out with a buddy, and, and the topic of, I don't know how, but the topic of bocce ball came up. And we started talking about it, and I know very little. I mean, one time we were out at the beach, and we had some, some beanbag balls, and we played a little bit, and I kind of got the idea. But it came up, and we started looking it up, and both of us just got really, really excited. And we're like, man, this, seems, this looks pretty cool. And then I faintly remember that there's a park near our house that has a little pit, some kind of plaything, I mean, you know, area there. And, and I, think, I think it says bocce ball on the sign. And so I drove out there, and it did. And it's sweet. It's, like, covered and lit and, you know, awesome. So we go back and we start talking some more. And we find out that there is a bocce ball tournament coming up in September. And so me and this dude sign up for the bocce ball tournament. We've got a name for our team. We have T-shirts coming. So we're going to this bocce ball tournament. We don't even have the balls yet. We had to order some. And so, so they're coming in. And so, so this weekend, we go out to this sweet pit and... Luckily, there's a guy a lot younger than us who is actually, like, Italian and has played this game since he was five. And he starts showing us the game. And he teaches us that it's not bocce, it's bocce. 
and that there's this way that you play, and we realized, oh, man, last time we played, we didn't even know the rules, and so we were playing it all wrong, but at least he showed us, man, how you play and how this game works, and it was awesome, man. We had a blast. Am I a bocce ball player? A bocce ball player? <laughs> Am I? When, when do I become that? I know this. I'm pretty fired up about it right now. I'm excited about this tournament. We're going to get smoked, but it's going to be awesome, you know? When do you cross the line? Well, this story of Lydia, when she crosses from death into life, is just beautiful. And to give you a little bit of the backstory, because there's just so many parts of this that are incredible, but you've got, you've got Paul, and, and si, or Paul and Barnabas, and they're in Antioch. And a lot of cool things have just happened with, with church leadership. And, and they come together and they say, man, we really want to go back around to all the church plants and encourage the brothers and the sisters. And so they're together and they're making this plan. But then they get ready to go, and Barnabas is like, man, hey, let's, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul says, man, we ain't taking John Mark. This was the, the other option that we could have been talking about this morning, John Mark. Barnabas says, I mean, Paul says, we're not taking Bar- John Mark with us. That dude bailed on us the last time. We ain't taking that loser with us. And Barnabas says, but man, he's, he's different now. And they get in this, it says, a sharp disagreement. I, I just love that. I mean, here you got Paul, you know, always saying all the incredible things that he does. He does some incredible things in this story today. And here we've got two brothers that are at each other's throat, and they finally decide, hey, we can't do it. Paul's not going to let John Mark go. Barnabas is not going to kick John Mark out. So Barnabas goes one way, Paul goes the other, he takes Silas, and he starts going back around on what ends up, if you looked it up today, it would be called Paul's second missionary journey. But what's funny about it is he didn't set out on a missionary journey. He set out on a discipleship journey. He's going back around to the already established churches to encourage the brothers and sisters. But here's what happens. He starts setting out. He and Silas are going. And, and the, when they come along, they end up picking up Timothy. Remember, we just thought through 2 Timothy. Well, this is where they pick up Timothy. And then he's going, but every time he gets ready to go into an area, it says that the Spirit of God moves in his heart and, and, and tells him not to go there, prevents him from going into that region. And so he moves a little bit further. Nope, can't go there. Can't go there. And he keeps on moving until he runs to the coast, the city called Troas. And now he's at the coast. He can't can't go any further. It's just the GNC in front of him, you know. And I'm sure at this point, Paul is like, what's going on here? I thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, and now I I, I can't go anywhere? And he gets to the coast, and it says that he has has a dream there. In fact, we'll we'll read it together, beginning in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Sorry, I lost my place. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately uh, we saw it, which is interesting here, it switches to we. This whole passage, it's been they, 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 and now it switches to we. Luke, Dr. Luke, who's real descriptive in the way that he writes, which I'm thankful for because we get a lot of description in the story. Dr. Luke has been somewhere else, and now he's joined them. So you got Silas, you got Timothy, you got Paul, and you got Dr. Luke, and who knows who else, but they got a pretty good team. We sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So after this dream, they say, man, that must be what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to cross the sea. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Semithrace, which is an island halfway out in the middle of the Aegean Sea, and the following day to Neapolis, which is the coastal city uh, across the way. 
And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia. So they figure, man, if we're going to Macedonia, we might as well go to the leading city, right? So they go to, Phil- uh, to Philippi um, and a Roman colony. We remained there for, in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside. We, were supposed, we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And I love this. She prevailed upon us. <laughs> that means they did what she said because she wasn't taking no for an answer. All right? So we got this incredible story. So God gives this vision, and then and then Paul now shifts from the plan that he had, and he goes into this place where the gospel has not been proclaimed. This story of Jesus has not been told. One of the things I love about this is um, Paul isn't sitting back in Antioch waiting on real clarity. In fact, it talks about that it made sense to him and, and Barnabas to go out and encourage the churches. So he was moving. A lot of the times we get stuck because we're waiting, waiting, waiting. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? There's some things we know we're supposed to do. He knew encouraging the churches was something he was supposed to do, so he set out to go do it, and then God opened doors and shut doors and convicted. No, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. But now, now he's got Paul in this place that he, Paul never set out to go to. This meeting that Paul has with Lydia is, is not an accident. God orchestrated these events, but it's sure not what Paul set out to do. And I got to thinking about that. You know, I stand before you this morning, and I can say with full honesty of all my heart, man, there is no place on the planet that I would rather be at this moment than here now preaching this message to you. Now, you, you meet me 10 years ago, and you asked me and told me that I would be in this place here now giving this message to you, and I would have said, you were crazy, but here I am. And what happens is, as I began to move out, God opened doors and shut doors and moved and directed, and here I am. And so in the same way that this was not a by-chance meeting that Paul has with Lydia, I don't think this morning is a by-chance meeting. I think God is orchestrating these events. But I got to admit, uh, it, it looked pretty crazy. It had to look pretty crazy to Paul, especially what happens next. Because this on, then on the Sabbath day, he went outside the gate to the riverside. And, um, and what we know there, okay, so every time Paul would go or his guys would go to a city, the first thing they would do on a Sabbath day, they would go to the synagogue where, where the Jews were, where people who were, who were believing in the God of Israel but not aware that Jesus was the Messiah and the fulfillment of all those prophecies. They would go to those places, and then they would proclaim, Jesus is, is the answer. Jesus, Jesus is the one who, who can give life. And people would respond, and then it would begin to grow. But guess what? In Philippi, there aren't enough Jewish men to make a synagogue. There were certain, I think there were six, had to exist there for them to, to form up a synagogue, and that wasn't true in Philippi. And so what do you do? On the, well, it's, it's the Sabbath day. Where do we find, where do we find people who are worshiping one creator God because he's in a city of polytheist and temple idol worship and mythology and everybody. You know, there's temples, but where do we find the people who have turned away from that and have believed that, no, there's one creator God and maybe even are interested in this God of Israel? Well, you go outside the city to the riverside, and guess what you find there? 
find a bunch of girls. You don't find, it says that there, were, there, there was a women's prayer meeting going on out there. Now, I got I to admit to you, if I'm Paul and I had this vision and there was a dude telling me to come and help him, and then I travel all the way over here and I get there and I walk out and there's no dudes here. And if, you've ever, if you're a guy and you've ever been the only guy in a, in a women's prayer meeting, it's, it's, it, you feel really awkward. You feel really awkward. So I'm sure Paul's going, man, is this, is this what God is leading? You know, sure enough, man. And then as we find out about this woman, Lydia, and what God does, it's incredible. So God leads him to this riverside, and he's now with uh, this group of women who are authentic seekers. They're at the riverside. They're in prayer. And then it says he meets this woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. So she's from the city of, of Thyatira. Now, this is, this is interesting to me. It makes sense because this purple dye that's very, very expensive to make, it comes from uh, secretion from these shellfish, and it's very, very expensive. So she, this dye is, is made, and these products are made in Thyatira, and she is this businesswoman who is importing this, these goods to Philippi and selling them. So she is a very influential woman. She's got her own business. But this is what's crazy. Her hometown, Thyatira, guess where Thyatira is? It's back over where Paul started when he was trying to go and was being prevented to go into places. He passes right by her hometown. So she's also from another place, in this place, sourcing goods from her home place. And God brought Paul from over here to meet Lydia at the riverside in Philippi, along with these other seekers. And then it says of, of Lydia that she was a worshiper of God. What we know about her is that she's gotten far enough. She's basically gotten halfway. She's recognized that, that there is a holy God that created her, that she's responsible to him, that she needs and she needs to worship him, and she's there worshiping. But she doesn't know the way to salvation. She doesn't know how her sins can be made clean. So she's, she's halfway there. And then Paul comes to her. And it's really interesting because there's another story that I love in, in chapter 10 of Acts about a guy named Cornelius, who is a, a Greek soldier. And really, the same thing happens. It says he's a Greek soldier who is a worshiper of the one true God. And so he's a seeker, an authentic seeker. And God comes to Cornelius in a dream and says, hey, you need to go get this guy, Peter. And he comes to Peter in a dream, and he says, man, when, when Cornelius comes to get you, you need to go with him. And so he puts the two guys together. Peter comes over here and goes to Cornelius and says, hey, Jesus is the way to life. And it says that Cornelius and his whole household come to faith in Christ. Here he does it again with Lydia. So it looks like there's a theme here. When there's an authentic seeker, God takes the person who's willing to share the message and the person who's authentically seeking and he, and he brings those two people together. No matter what the obstacle, he makes it happen. So it's good news to the authentic seekers. God will bring the message to you. And then he says that God opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. So God made the connection happen, and then God moved in Lydia's heart and, and opened her heart where she would pay attention and listen and respond to this message. And I'm going to tell you, this is, this is just true. When you start talking about spiritual things and the things of God and you start talking about this gospel, man, a lot of times, that, you know, people's eyes will kind of glaze over. And it's not something that you just, that you understand like a math problem. There is this thing that happens in your heart, and God does this thing where he opens your heart to understand and to believe. Tell you what, 
if you don't mind, I'm just going to ask God to do that at this moment, all right? Let me pray. Father, I, I ask you at this moment that you would open our hearts to pay attention and to hear and to receive this message that you have for us to your glory. Amen. So it says that God opened up her heart. And then it says that she was baptized. So at some point, she crossed over from death to life. But that thing that happened, it happened inside of her. It was this internal thing that happened between her and Jesus that we can't see. And that Luke, the doctor, wasn't going to document because he can't document that. There's nothing to see. But what could he see? Her first step of obedience. Because Jesus said, hey, you know, go out and make disciples. And when you do, the first thing that they need to do when they place faith in Christ is to be baptized. They needed to take this step of obedience. And Lydia immediately goes, hey, we're by the river. Let's go do this thing. I want everybody to know that my life has changed, that the old Lydia in my sin, I'm dead. But now because of this Jesus, now I have new life to walk with him. She wanted everybody to know it. You got to admit, though, man, this, this whole baptism deal, I've always thought this. It's just a crazy thing. I mean, yesterday I was swimming with my boy, Brennan, and we were dunking each other left and right in the swimming pool. But yet we come up here this morning and I dunk you. You know, like, it's not that these waters have any certain power or anything. It's, it's, this, it's this incredible symbol that we've been, getting, give, been given. A- actually, it's an ancient symbol that's used in a lot of different cultures when somebody makes a, a definite life change. The old is gone, the new has come. And Jesus adopts it, and he does it too. And he says, this is what my followers do, to give a picture to everybody, to let everyone know, to leave no doubt, I'm following Jesus. Now, I guess we could do something different than baptism. We could probably come up with something. I mean, what would you do if it wasn't baptism? I, I thought about it. I guess, I guess we could, like, this bit might be kind of fun. Like, whenever you make that decision, you just lay on the ground and act like you're dead. I do this with the baby sometimes. And then when people come up and start checking on you, you go, hey, I'm alive in Jesus. New life. I mean, I guess you could do that. Baptism might be a little less <laughs> giving people heart attacks, you know. Um, but it's what Jesus has given us. And that's what he's asked us to do. And she says immediately. So what do we know about her? She is immediately obedient to Christ. It's not that, you know, I believe in Jesus and I may actually do what he says one day. It's I believe in Jesus and he says be baptized. Let's do this thing. That's what happens with Lydia. And then it says not just her, but it says her whole household as well. Which also happens with Cornelius, which also happens here right after this story with the, with the jailer in Philippi. Her and her whole household. What in the world does that mean? It happens all through Acts because in this culture... There is a tremendous power. One, she's a woman of influence, Lydia specifically. But also there's a a tremendous power of persuasion that parents have that, to be honest with you, we know not of. Uh, For instance, you know, today, a lot of cultures, the parents still choose, you know, the, the husband or the wife for their children. They still make the choice. I was at a wedding last year that this happened, and I asked the guy, so, man, does that not bother you that your mom and dad are picking your bride? And he said, no, Mark. I know that my parents have lived a lot longer than I have, and they know a lot more than I do. They know me better than I know myself. And whatever decision they make, I think is best for me. <laughs> that was not me at 20 years old, man. Not at all. I made my mind up I was marrying Terry, and I didn't care what anybody had to say about that. Um, but it's true. In these, these decisions, it's not... 
it's not that it's a family and everybody's just grafted in. It's all individual decisions. I mean, this dude is choosing to love this woman for the rest of his life. But the power of influence that his parents have in his life is tremendous. And it says that Lydia immediately goes back to her household, her husband, her children, any servants in the house, and she is, hey, this thing is true, and everybody agrees. And it says her whole household is baptized as well. I love it because she's immediately taking what she knows and her influence and using it to to get the gospel message out because she believes it. And if it's true that you can cross from death to life, that you can have eternal life in a relationship with God, everybody needs to know about this. And so she goes telling everybody. I met a guy a few years ago, and when I met him, I walked up to a table, and out on the table he had all of these different uh, pamphlets and books from all these different cults. And I sat down by him, and I started talking, and what he said is, man, I'm seeking, I know, I know that there's a God, but I don't know how to, how to know him. And so I said, well, let me show you. And by the time we finished, he took all those things and he threw them in the trash. And the next day we met, his name was Marcus Gott. Walked in the next day, he sat at the table, and he said, I said, man, how's it going? How was the last 24 hours? He said, Mark, let me tell you, man. And he started telling me about his roommate and the guy that he met on the street. And he just started going through all these different encounters that he'd had where he had told everybody else that message. Because he was like, man, if this thing is true, everybody, everybody needs to know about it. And you couldn't shut him up. That's Lydia. And it's evidence that she really believes it because she can't, you know, she can't, she can't be held back. And then it says, <laughs> she tells these guys, hey, why don't y'all come to my house and stay? No, no, she insists, you're going to come to my house and stay whether you like it or not. So she immediately leverages all of her resources, her household, and opens up the door to these guys. Now think about that for a second because it's pretty crazy. I mean, you, you, these guys are, right, they're getting beaten, and this message is not received well by everybody, and and she's just opening up her home to this cause that could cost her her reputation and her life. In fact, immediately after this, the way this story goes on, uh, they, they keep on going to the riverside. There's this demon-possessed girl who is, the demon is helping her to tell people's fortunes. And she's a slave girl. And her, sla- her owners are making lots of money off this girl because she's telling fortunes. And so Paul rebukes the demon and sets this girl free. Well, that doesn't make her owners very happy because now they're losing all their money. And so they make a big ruckus, and it ends with Paul and Silas getting thrown into jail, beaten to a bloody pulp, thrown into jail. In fact, the way it says it, when they had, inflicted, when they had been afflicted with many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. And because of, they were worried about it, they took them in the inner part of the prison and put stocks on their legs. And it says that at midnight, Paul and Silas are singing praises to God and praying, and all the other prisoners are listening And then an earthquake happens. All the jail cells break open. The shackles fall off their legs. And they're free. And the jailer starts to kill himself because he realizes he's going to be executed anyway because he's failed on his job pretty pretty bad. And Paul says, hold up, man. Don't worry about it. We're all here. We're all here. You're good. And so then the jailer brings him out, nurses his wounds. Paul shares with him about Jesus. And the jailer and his whole household do what? They become authentic followers of Christ. And so now you've got these jailers. So you think about this. Right after that, in verse 40, it says that Paul and Silas, when they leave the jail, they go to Lydia's house. 
And it says they encouraged the brothers there. So now think about it. Now at Lydia's house, when it was just her family, now it's, it's Paul, it's Silas, it's Luke, it's Timothy. It's this demon-possessed girl, and I'm sure her family that's been set free. It is the jailer in all his household. I mean, she's probably, her house is probably busting at the seams. And they're probably not all people that you just wanted to have over today, you know? But she doesn't care. She's leveraging her resources because this thing is true. And so nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. She's obedient. She uses her influence and she uses her resources. You know, um, a lot of times we hear something talked about or we hear, read a, hear a passage read. And just like it says, most of the people maybe at the river that day, it just, whew. But it says that Lydia's heart was open to listen and to receive it. And so I'm going to ask you in the next few minutes to really evaluate yourself and the authenticity of your faith. And if these are some identifying marks, immediate obedience, proclamation of this good news that you know that others don't, and leveraging your resources around the cause, if those are some identifying, not the only, but those are some of the identifying marks of a true, authentic follower of Christ, are you? I don't know if I'm a bocce ball player or not, but I know this. I'm pretty passionate about it right now, and I'm pretty excited, and there's something in me that I would say I am. I'll wear the T-shirt, you know? Are you an authentic follower of Christ? Let me pray that it would be true. And in the next few minutes, you know, in the back here, there are going to be some folks that can pray with you. If you ever go back there, you know, we've got a, a cross that you can pray at. There's the communion that you can, the Lord's Supper that you can take. There's a place that you can pray for missionaries. And then there's also some people on both sides that are going to kind of be smiling, looking this way. They've even got a little tag on. Those are your prayer people. So if you want to tell somebody, man, I, I want to make that genuine decision to cross from death to life, man, there's some people, there's some people around you that would love to talk to you about that. There's a card that you can, what Charlie was talking about, and you can, you can mark that, and we'll follow up and talk to you about it put that in the offering bucket when it comes by. But regardless, in the next few minutes, there are some incredible songs coming up because we've already done this once, and I'm telling you, um, it's just really cool the way that God has put together a worship set to follow this. It sets the scene for you to really be able to think about this. So let me pray that you would. Father, I, uh, 